Hi, welcome to Skip's Corner, where I cover Nashville's baseball history and events and introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans. The Southern Association of Baseball Clubs was organized in 1900. Uh, for a beginning play in 1901, and it lasted 60 years before folding at the end of the 1961 season. Nashville and Birmingham were the only two cities in the league during its entire existence, and not even seemingly solid baseball towns, Atlanta, New Orleans, or Memphis, survived the final year. It was a league that gave us shoeless Joe Jackson, who won the batting title in 1908, playing for the New Orleans Pelicans, and he had a 350 batting average. There was the one-armed Memphis Chicks player, Pete Gray. There was Hall of Famer, Tris Speaker. And there was the big biceps of Ted Klazuski with Memphis, who, when he made it to the Cincinnati Reds, ripped the sleeves out of his jersey because his arms wouldn't go through the armholes, and it began a tradition of sleeveless jerseys for the Cincinnati Reds, the first team to do so. The Southern also gave us another great Memphis Chicks player, Louis Aparicio. I once asked former Nashville Vols infielder Larry Taylor who is the best player he ever saw play in the Southern Association, and his words were, Louis Aparicio, he could do anything. There was Chattanooga's Herman Killebrew, and there were pitchers like Jim O'Toole and Jim Maloney, Jack Harshman, even Hub Purdue back in 1908, they all played for Nashville. And then former pros Jim Bunning and Jim Cott. On the day that the owners decided to close down the Southern Association, league president George Troutman faced the press in January of 1962 with these painful words, at least painful to him. I don't like to be sentimental at a time like this, he said, but it is tough to preside over a session that marks the exodus of a league as old and respected as the Southern. Uh, but it wasn't unexpected. Now listen to these attendance figures. Total attendance across all minor leagues had dropped from a high of 41,900,000 in 1949 to 10,900,000 in 1961. That's a 75% drop in only 12 years. So here's the question. Why would a league fail after surviving two world wars, the Depression, the Korean conflict, multiple franchise relocations, and decaying grandstands? Well, the wise sage of the Nashville Banner, sports writer Fred Russell, addressed it in a column called Why Did the Southern Go Under in the March 28, 1962 edition of the Sporting News. And he began that column with these questions. Who killed the Southern? What killed the venerable league, referred to just a couple of years ago as the most stable in the minor league orbit? Could it have been avoided, or was it inevitable? Adding to the banter of dissatisfied Southern Association members who questioned the leadership of the league, including owners who have used their long-term power to solve short-range problems, Russell gave a long list of reasons. He started with apathetic fans. And then he goes on to say, rising opportunity of outdoor sports, particularly boating, he says. And he calls out bowling's boom. 
And then I've heard this a lot, Major League Baseball telecasts, especially into minor league cities, and of course, television itself. Remember, I Love Lucy and other shows uh, were in their heyday. Air conditioning had come on board, and people could sit in their den in the coolness of the air conditioning and watch black and white television. Something else he calls out is poorer teams and slower games, and an indifference of major league officials to a quickly deteriorating situation. But he also says some of that uh, reason for the demise of the Southern Association was there was too much dependence on the majors. Minor league teams did not do enough to make their product known to their hometown fans. And they had an inability to meet competition such as television. Russell also says a refusal to accept Negro players until it was too late. Well, that's not exactly true because the Southern Association only made one attempt to accept Negro players, and that was one. And I'll talk about that in a second. But he also says football's gradual encroachment on the sport fans' late summer attention and unaggressive leadership. And I think that's a call out to the Southern Association team uh, presidents and owners. Of course, declining attendance and all those things were culprits, but most obviously, but rarely discussed, is segregation. In the Southern Association, I've never seen where there was a league rule that said teams could not use black players. Atlanta did experiment with integrating by inserting Nat Peoples in a game as a pinch hitter between the Mobile Bears and the Atlanta Crackers. And the next day, Peoples played the entire game. He batted four times. He got no hits. But when the team returned to Atlanta for the next week, he did not play, and he was sent down to Jacksonville. Peoples was the only black player to appear in a Southern Association game in 60 years. Born in Memphis, his career ended with the Mexico City Reds in 1960 after making it as high as Louisville in the AAA in 1959. He passed away in 2012. Nashville attendance at Sulphurdale began to wane in the early 1950s, just as those numbers ran right along with what I called out about the night from 1949 to 1960, how 75% attendance had waned. But the last straw may have come in 1960 when Gabe Paul, Cincinnati Reds vice president and general manager, announced that the Reds' six-year working agreement with Nashville would not be renewed. And the reason he gave was the Southern Association does not allow the use of Negro players. And there you have it. Because segregation was a serious topic in Southern cities. And that could be the reason for minor league baseball teams shutting down too. But by 1962, organized minor league baseball is reduced to only 19 leagues from a high of 59 leagues in 1949 all across the country, not just in the South. So there was no baseball at Sulphurdale in 1962, at least no professional baseball. There was the Harlem Stars who came as a barnstorming team with Goose Tatum and and um, Satchel Paige, and there were amateur games that were played there. It was still a field, 1962. But the Nashville Vols resurrected in 1963 as a member of the South Atlantic League. The ownership group thought that they could resurrect the team and make it be a success by watching their expenses and asking for more players from the major league teams, especially their affiliate affiliation with the Los Angeles Angels. 
The Sally League had no express rule against integration, and on the first day of the season, on April the 19th in Knoxville, Eddie Crawford stepped to the plate to become the first African-American to appear in a Nashville Vols uniform. And four batters later, Henry Mitchell would join Crawford as the second in that distinction. Crawford was a promising left-handed batter and outfielder who had batted 318 the previous season in Quad Cities, and the Angels were looking for good things for him. But he would only play in 19 games for the Vols. I think he got hurt and then was sent down to, sent up to, well, down. He was sent to the Northwest Tri-City Angels in the single-A Northwest League. Mitchell, on the other hand, was in his ninth minor league season, and it would be the last for the Panamanian third baseman as he played in 106 games for Nashville to complete his career. The last professional game was played at Sulphurdale on September the 8th, 1963, with poor attendance of only 52,812 fans for the entire season and a deficit of almost $22,000. The franchise was surrendered to the South Atlantic League by the board of directors on September the 16th. Now, they had drawn 7,500, I think, on opening day, and for the entire year, they drew 58,000. I think they drew 15% of their entire season attendance on opening day. It kind of tells a story. The public corporation Vols Incorporated had been formed in 1957 to salvage the ball team as it was declining under the ownership of Ted Murray. And civic leaders sold tickets to promote the team, and everybody in the Nashville or beyond could buy a uh, share in the Nashville Vols, Vols Incorporated franchise at $5 a piece. And they sold 4,876 shares to pay off Ted Murray and to have some operating capital. It was a valiant endeavor, and they barely kept the club afloat. And when they decided to turn in their their franchise, the, there was not a dissenting vote by any of the stockholders after the 63 season had ended. And even though board chairman Jack Norman stated that he would assign a committee to look into the feasibility of retaining Sulphurdale, which would mean a continuation of the corporation which owned the ballpark, well, guess what? That committee was never formed. Two years earlier, television, air conditioning, the expansion of Nashville city limits, the hesitancy of the major league clubs to provide adequate talent to the teams in the minor leagues, and the fact that the Southern Association was just not integrated, all contributed to the demise of the storied league. The attempt to resurrect baseball in the South Atlantic League was a brave attempt, but it was a miserable failure. Nashville fans had no problem with their hometown team playing in an integrated league, but they did not want to leave their evening television shows, their air-conditioned living rooms, or their dens, nor drive downtown to what was becoming an ignored part of the city. And to top it off, Nashville finished the South Atlantic League in last place with a 53-86 and record, 27 and a half games behind the Macon Peaches. Now, Atlanta's was a feeble attempt to integrate the Southern Association, and by today's standards, it tarnished the once-revered league's reputation. Nashville's use of black players in 1963 was an attempt to rescue bad decisions made over 60 years, and in the end... The fans called it quits. And that's kind of a summary of the Southern Association. If you'd like to join me again, I hope you will. If you have questions or if you have suggestions, feel free to write me at 262downright at gmail.com or you can go to baseballinnashville.com and click on the contact page. 
fill out the little form there and I'll respond back to you. I would appreciate any feedback that you might want to give, subjects that you might want to hear about. Or if you want me to come on more frequently or less frequently, I can certainly do either one of those things as well. So until next time, this is Skip Nipper at Skip's Corner. <laughs>